99% of every human being that has ever lived did not have freedom of speech or freedom of religion. 99% of every human being that has ever walked on this planet was not allowed to choose their own leaders. Do you know that? We think what we have here is so normal, it is abnormal. That's the voice of Virginia's Attorney General, Jason Mieres, commenting on how if you want to talk about so-called privilege, in many ways the real privilege is being an American citizen. It's a perspective totally lacking among way too many college students today. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia. You know, I think this is our last episode before Christmas, so we want to take this opportunity to wish you all a very merry and blessed Christmas. Before we get started, I thought it would be appropriate as we head into the rush right before Christmas of bringing a little Christmas cheer. And I remember this super cute video. It's called Christmas According to Kids. It was put out a few years ago from Southland Christian Church. And if you haven't seen this yet, it's just a classic. So we're going to play a clip from that. An angel came to see me. Mary, she was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, like, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. It's kind of funny watching these kids, you know, sort of try to tell the Christmas story because our church one time did this thing where they went into the little kids' Sunday school rooms and asked them all these questions about their Christmas traditions. Yeah. And they, we didn't know it was happening. And so we just get to the Christmas service and they've got oh this goodness. video. And as a parent who knows your kid was back there, you're waiting for what is my kid going to say? <laughs> and we were safe. Like Daniel told this funny story of like Matt builds obstacles for our kids like to get to their presence. There's like oh. always like there's like bubble paper or there's wow. like so so they have to like and he he just told that story. But we were all bracing because once you hear the first, oh, my goodness, a kid said that you're waiting for what your kid will say. That's so funny that that's what stands out in Daniel's mind. Yeah. That's a fun thing. It was good. It was yeah. good. It was safe. <laughs> One kid said something like not intentionally, but not very charitable about his grandparents. And that's when every parent panicked. <laughs> so anyway. Well, I, it also brought to mind just the little things I get wrong. You know, is it a donkey or a camel? Right. And, you know, and it brought to mind these Christmas carols and how kids sometimes have funny or even adults. We mishear the words. I don't even think want to think about how long it was until I realized O Tannenbaum was not O Cannonball. 
right. You know, just stuff like that. Well, and to be fair, there's a lot of weird things in old Christmas carols that are, are that we and these generations definitely can't relate to. I mean, yeah. eight maids of milking and, um, you know, figgy pudding. And think about all the things that are there that there's just no connection to real life anymore. Yeah. And so to be fair, when kids get it wrong, it kind of makes sense. And who's good king? What's his name? Yeah. Wenseless. I'm going to get that one wrong. See, I don't even know. Like, I know we sing it and we just sort of, I kind of mumble Parson the words. Brown. We get to that. Yeah. Par- so that's not really a Christmas carol, but a Christmas song. Parson Brown. There's kids calling him Carson Brown. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think this is just the reality. I will okay. say that I recently went to a Christmas concert and it was a, an, a group that had put out 10 Christmas albums. And they were saying that they're starting to stretch what's a Christmas song. So if it mentioned snow or if it was winter, they were starting to add those to the Christmas albums. And yeah. I thought, yeah, if you, but you have to know all those lyrics then and you have to to know how all those yeah. things are pronounced so I'm glad I'm not a singer <laughs> we are going to go Christmas caroling as with our church small groups yeah. that'll be interesting our kids did that our kids then. went for you know if you go into retirement homes or um, homebound yeah. people I don't know where y'all are going but I think it's a blessing but do you I was thinking the other day all of our classic Christmas carols and just even fun songs jingle bells whatever it is are from like 50 years ago Where's or, the new even, good or ones? hundreds of years ago yeah so, not hundreds but you know you know what I'm saying and are we are we capable of doing classic Christmas songs and carols at this point in our culture? I, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. I would say there haven't been that many good ones of late. I think you're absolutely right. And in fact, the the group that I went to was Pentatonics, and they tried to have written some, and I didn't think they were nearly, and my kids commented on the same thing. They said it was better when they were redoing classics yeah. than when they kind of created their own. So I think it is a challenge. It, maybe we don't have the same depth or uh, theological background. Well, and this is the other thing. They all have such great, th- not they all, but many have great theology in them. It's sort of the ones, and I, Or yeah. just family, innocent fun, yes. in- instead of the last Christmas breakup song. Yeah, I, I think all of ours now are like, I mean, you know, the news was talking about that one that's like last Christmas, and it annoys yeah. everybody, and you go into every store, and it's, but yeah, that's just a love song that happens to be yeah. housed in Christmas, and I think Christmas is about a different kind of love, so that's kind of annoying. Or it was about community and family yeah. back in the past, but yeah. Yes. We're, all right, we're going to get there again. Let's be an optimist. <laughs> all <laughs> but, right, that's fair. Um, on that note, jumping right into today's topic, which really isn't exactly starting out on the optimism <laughs> note, but, you know, we've been hearing a lot in the news lately about what's going on on American college campuses. And it seems students don't really have a good positive view, even a hopeful view, of the country they live in. There doesn't seem to be that basic civic pride that we once had, that the younger generation once had about America, about the country. Yeah, I, I have deep concerns, and I think this is what this talk is going to get into a little bit. But I just, when you think about how many college kids just don't embrace a love for America, think about what what's going to happen if we need more to enter the military. I'm not sure there are kids that really believe we stand for good things and our country is worth defending. That is the, is the kind of, but it's the result of, unfortunately, the the way that we've indoctrinated in the schools in in the earlier years and into college. Yeah, and, and we've seen news that military enrollment is dropping off lately. I think I've seen those news articles. I think that's a real thing, real concern. Um, but that's all of that is why we thought it would be a good time to bring to you, our listeners, a hard-hitting yet hopeful perspective that comes to us from our Virginia Attorney General, Jason Mieres. 
he addresses in this talk we're going to bring you today some of the wrongs that are happening in America. Like in a lot of schools, you have to have parental permission for your child to be given Tylenol or an aspirin. And yet they want to try to change your child's gender and that can be kept a secret. So you've got stuff like that going on. Um, but he has hope uh, because he talks about as, as the child of a Cuban refugee, how he really has a deep appreciation of the true privilege we have as American citizens and how we just don't have perspective on what it's like around the rest of the world. So I, I feel like this is a really good timely message as we head into Christmas season to remind us of what we have to be thankful for in this country. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the bottom line is that this, I mean, he gave this, this speech before the election, so there was a lot of things yeah. we were all thinking about at the time yeah. when we heard this. But I do think it is, to your point, um, a message about the hope of America. And I do think it's um, such a positive message at this in this moment. Well, hopefully it encourages you. So without further ado, let's hear from Attorney General Jason Mieres. Overwhelming, overwhelming what I tell everybody that works for me, no matter what section you're in, whether you're in major crimes, whether you're in civil rights, whether you're my solicitor general, I want our mindset to be that we're the people's protector. That wants to be the mindset we have in the attorney general's office. People have asked me before, you know, when did you all think you were gonna win? Back in 2021, we had our historic clean sweep because so many of the issues that animated our election in 2021 are literally on the ballot today. And I remember I was in Old Town, Alexandria, and we showed up at the farmer's market for a rally, and it was a sea of red, and <clears throat> I think a lot of the folks, including the Washington Post, were really disturbed by that. But I remember after the rally, a mom coming up to me and saying, I have never voted Republican my entire life, ever. A voting Republican for the first time, ever. And I said, thank you. Do you mind me asking you why? And she said, yeah because too many politicians have forgotten a very important truth. Never, ever, ever get between a mother and her child. <clears throat> and I just said, yes, ma'am, and I won't forget it, but we have not forgotten that since day one. The idea that parents matter should not be controversial. Somehow it is. When I say that parents have a fundamental right to the education upbringing of their children, according to some in the legacy media, that's dog whistle politics. Five years ago, that wasn't controversial. But that's been our mindset since day one. Everything from the mask mandate, which is simply saying you as a parent can decide. You get to make those decisions. And if I have to go to court to defend the parent's right to make those decisions, I will and we won. When it, you know, when it came to my very first attorney general's opinion, which is simply saying colleges cannot force you to take the COVID vaccine as a condition of enrollment. But even, even now, if you think about what's happening right now, this great debate about the governor's model policies, which are not controversial. It's not controversial to say that biological boys should not be in women's sports teams or in women's locker rooms or in overnight trips. But this is literally what some of these school boards are doing. And I'm so glad we have some school board candidates here 
as well. They're literally saying this. We acknowledge that we are not allowed legally to give your child so much as an aspirin in school without parental permission. But we can change your child's, quote, gender identity and tell the teacher to intentionally hide it from the parent. That is shocking that that is now the policy position of essentially every single Democratic Party elected official in the country and in Virginia today. And so we will always, always side with parents. When I say we're the people's protector, it also means protecting our kids in schools. Folks, I'm not gonna go too much into Loudoun because we have a trial coming up, but I can speak to what is the public grand jury report that we got unsealed, which led to the termination of the superintendent that day. That is the... And in many ways, Virginia is now the epicenter of the parental rights movement. But of everything we did cover in our investigation, this was the most shocking. This was the case with the 15-year-old boy who put on the skirt, walked into the bathroom, brutally sexually assaulted another 15-year-old girl, and then got transferred. He got transferred to another school where he committed another sexual assault. This is the thing that shocked me the most in the course of our investigation. When the first sexual assault took place in that bathroom, a teacher actually walked in on it while it was happening and did nothing. And when they were asked in front of the grand jury under oath, why didn't you do something? The teacher's response was, because it's not that unusual to see two pairs of legs in a bathroom stall at a public school in Loudoun. Think about your own high school experience. I mean, you get caught smoking in the boys' room, you're going to the principal's office, right? But it was not Republicans or conservatives that pulled school resource officers out of our schools. It was pushed under Ralph Northam. It was under Ralph Northam that they voted to end the mandatory reporting requirements of sexual assault in our schools. Now, we've reversed a lot of those policies, but elections matter, and I am so grateful that the Family Foundation is in the trenches with us, educating voters. Because I know this may shock you, but the legacy media does not necessarily educate voters these days on what's happening in our schools. Most voters, even in Loudoun, don't really know the depth of what has happened in Loudoun public schools, and it's simply shocking. When we say we're the people's protector in the Attorney General's office, it also means on federal overreach. I have a really fun job. I get to sue the federal government. That's fun. But if there's federal overreach, we're gonna challenge it. We took OSHA to court when they tried to say, if you're an employer, you're a small business owner, you have to vaccinate your employees or fire them. We took them to court to the Supreme Court and we won. We're proud to do that. When domestic terrorists, when cowards, attacked the Price's Pregnancy Center outside of Lynchburg, Blue Ridge, I immediately went there, stood among those broken glass and that graffiti, these vile messages. We talk about the quiet heroes every day that never get any recognition, and you never have to look far when you're at a crisis pregnancy center or those amazing volunteers that minister and nurture 
so many women that are hurting right now when they go to see them. And I remember when I went, right around the same time, Elizabeth Warren made a statement. She's a member of the United States Senate, one of the most senior members in Washington, and she said this, those crisis pregnancy centers are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination. We need to shut them down all around the country. This is a private enterprise. It's a nonprofit. Crisis pregnancy centers operate by generous donations. That is shocking that a member of the federal government would want to shut down a nonprofit charity just because they're giving a voice to women. And so my message to Elizabeth Warren is, I don't know how things are done in Massachusetts, but if you try to do that in Virginia, I will meet you in court and I will beat you in court. Because I am fully convinced that every child's first breath is confirmation that God has yet to give up on humanity. If I could leave a number with you all tonight that you can walk away and remember, it's this, 18%. That is the percentage of young people ages 18 to 29 that say they love their country. That is a shocking number. Gallup does a survey roughly around every July 4th where they just look at how do Americans view their country. I don't think we got to that 18% number by accident. Plato said that the two most important questions for a civilization is this, who teaches the children and what do they teach them? That is so relevant today. Family Foundation and others and so many of my friends from the General Assembly, we are at the front lines of trying to get a handle on our education system that is teaching an entire generation of young people that America is irretrievably a broken, evil country. That breaks my heart. There's a saying out in Oregon, you don't know how tall a tree is until after it's been cut down. I pray they never say that about our country. The most shocking thing for me as Attorney General, and there's a lot of very interesting things that come across my desk, as you can imagine. But for me, it's this. I can go at the beginning of a week and I can speak at a naturalization ceremony. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. My earliest childhood memory, one of them, was my mother coming in our kitchen and asking me to teach her the Pledge of Allegiance because she had to learn it for her naturalization ceremony after she had fled Cuba. It's one of those memories you have when you realize my family's different. So to this day, it's my favorite thing to look at a group of new Americans and say, welcome home, welcome to freedom. And at the end of that ceremony, I'll hand them a $1 American flag. And it's like you've handed them a diamond. And then I could go just a few days later on a college campus or some prep school where the tuition costs more than my car. And the only way, the only word I can really use to describe how those people view America is disdain. 
utter disdain. That should trouble every single person here in this room. I think of all the things that we work on, education and getting ourselves in this space is so critically important. Because if you are preaching an entire generation of Americans that America is irretrievably racist and broken and bigoted, what you're really saying is, America will always be at war with itself and will never find peace. The reality is, this country has given more second chances to more people for more backgrounds and more faiths and more colors and more creeds than any country that has ever existed in the history of the world. You hear this word privilege all the time. What about American privilege? Because you won life slaughter by being born in this country. 99% of every human being that has ever lived did not have freedom of speech or freedom of religion. 99% of every human being that has ever walked on this planet was not allowed to choose their own leaders. Do you know that? We think what we have here is so normal, it is abnormal. It is unique, it is different. My mother got on that airplane in Havana, Cuba as a 19-year-old homeless refugee, literally not knowing where she's gonna get her next meal, scared out of her mind. And almost 50 years to the day, in the fall of 2015, she was able to go into a voting booth and get a ballot with her son's name on it, and was able to vote for me to represent her in the oldest democracy in the Western Hemisphere. That is the American miracle. And it's actually, candidly, it's actually not that unique. So many of these stories are people that come to this country seeking freedom, and they are able to see their children achieve dreams in ways they can never imagine because of the hope and opportunity here. I was talking to a college class and I told them, if you don't think we're unique, here's a simple test you could do. And everybody here could do this later tonight. Not while Secretary Pompeo is speaking. Please don't do this. But, but later tonight, you can, you can go on YouTube and you can Google the opening ceremony of the Summer Olympics from Tokyo. I grew up in the 80s. I love the Olympic Games. It was us versus the communists. It kind of still is us versus the communists. But I've always loved the Olympic Games. I love the pageantry. And I love the Parade of Nations. You all know what the Parade of Nations is, and they all walk in. All right, so they start off with Greece, because the game started in Greece, and they go in alphabetical order. Albania, Botswana, and they go through, and they reach that magical moment where they announce us, the delegation from the United States of America. And the doors open, and we walk in. 119 countries walked into that stadium in Tokyo. And only one out of 119 did the delegation actually look like the entire world. It was this like visual reminder that we are unique and different, that refutes wokeism at its core, that we are indeed that last best hope on earth. I'm reminded of what an Italian immigrant noted the first time they ever laid eyes on the Statue of Liberty. They said, that is the greatest light 
the world has ever seen since the star of Bethlehem. I feel that in my bones. So do you. You brave the elements literally to be here tonight. Thank you for swimming here, by the way. But you're here tonight because you indeed understand that we're the last best hope on earth, that we're unique, and that we're different. It is the honor of my life to be in the trenches with you and alongside you. It's an honor of my life to be able to be there with the Family Foundation, pushing these unique, timeless principles that have made us the envy of the entire world. So I ask and I leave that you remember the passage, the magnificent passage from Romans. Always be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. May the Lord bless and protect you. May he smile and be gracious upon you. May you show you his favor. And above all, may the Lord also give you his peace. God bless you all. Thank you. Well, I love his ending quote where he cites the Italian immigrant that said the beacon on the Statue of Liberty is the greatest light since the Star of Bethlehem. That's just a great note to end on coming into the Christmas season. I was going to say, it ties very well to this season that we're in for sure. But I also love that he included scripture, right? So he references Romans 12, 12, you know, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's kind of the call, right? Like up and down, good and bad, moments where our culture is on track, moments where it's not. We're as believers still just supposed to carry on in our faith and carry on praying for, you know, a better day. Yeah, and that scripture really spoke to me just lately. Even when things are uncertain and there's a lot of darkness around, um, we still have this ability that God has given us to be joyful in in God's hope. You know, we don't think about that much, but just that God would grant us that supernatural ability to have our faces turned toward him and to be joyful in our spirits. I, I think there's so much sadness, loneliness in our culture. We need to be able to exemplify that a deeper joyfulness. I'm feeling, I'm feeling um, themes from our previous podcast on, you know, joy's not canceled. We talked a little bit about that. Um, But I do think that is uniquely Christian, that we are not subjected to having to have our emotions and our, and our mindset affected by our circumstances, right? It's not. If we're we're pointing, if if our eyes are on Jesus, if if we're pointing upward in our thinking, then whatever's happening around us doesn't have to take us down, you know? Yeah, because um, we have a deeper trust level. Yeah, it reminds me of that, uh, you know, that there's that current um, con- uh, kind of contemporary worship song, you know, he, my firm foundation, yeah. you know, I won't, you know, I won't be taken under. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it is good to remember in this cultural darkness that we do still have a battle in front of us, uh, a spiritual battle, a cultural battle. And so we can't afford to give in to despair we are afflicted but not in despair and we we need to not be on the sidelines in that but to have the hope of christ to continue in what we are called to do and so to that end i just want to thank our our listeners for their continued support you know we don't really spend a lot of time really ever talking about donations on this podcast but we thought with it being year in this is a unique opportunity to just let you know about opportunities to support the work the family foundation is doing and and part of that does go to this podcast we would love to be getting the word out 
to even more people, you know, on a weekly basis. And that goes toward helping us reach that end. Yeah, I can't say thank you enough for folks that have supported the work and for folks who are going to, you know, be part of that at this year end, because it is the fuel that fuels the battle, right? Like there, there is real equipping that needs to happen with our team and, and all the things that we do. And and yeah, getting the message out further, the, the, the more support there is, the more we can kind of get this to places that isn't just preaching to the choir, right? We, we right. want this to reach people that could kind of come on board and go, okay, I'm willing, you know, this inspired me to jump into the fight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that said, if you would like to find out how you can support us uh, during the year-end donation time, just check out familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. We've got a light shine. Let me see. Light shines through the cracks banner there. You can't miss it. That's based on John 1, 3. Uh, being the light in the darkness, that we have the hope of that. And so make sure to check that out. Again, that's familyfoundation.org. And as always, don't forget to share our podcast playlist, Speak Up Virginia playlist, to help us get the word out more. And thanks for joining us. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together.